Today's show is sponsored by Pricing Wire. Think about all the time, effort, uncertainty, and everything else you are investing into the software solution you're building. Pricing Wire has helped more than a thousand software and technology innovators like you take a proactive approach to both discover and get paid what you're truly worth. From early startups to Fortune 500 enterprises, across verticals and around the globe, Pricing Wire delivers easy to understand and actionable recommendations to guide your monetization and pricing strategy. If you want to avoid unnecessary challenges or costly regrets, and prevent missing time-sensitive revenue opportunities, PricingWire can help. Just go to PricingWire.com and book a strategy session today. PricingWire helps technology innovators like you design the right offerings, better quantify and message value, set and change prices, select the right pricing metrics, or even decide if usage-based pricing is best for you. Why wouldn't you want to achieve your revenue goals faster and with more confidence? Learn more at pricingwire.com and start making meaningful progress today. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. We are moving into the month of October. The year is now into the last quarter. Uh, 2019 is starting to get away from us, but uh, hope everybody's doing well. Hope uh, everybody's enjoying uh, their kids being back to school, the weather getting a little bit cooler, and uh, in October, which brings all sorts of fun things like Halloween and other stuff. So let's go ahead and get right to Cloud News of the Week. A couple of things to announce, uh, a couple of things to sort of mention. Uh, first and foremost, I want to give a big congratulations to uh, Datadog on their IPO. Datadog's been a longtime sponsor of the show, good friend of the show for a long time, and uh, congratulations to them getting to an IPO, especially in today's markets and all, is uh, very challenging. So big ups to the uh, the entire team, the founders who have been at it for a long time, and uh, hopefully they continue to be very, very successful. A couple of things to, uh, to note. Uh, first thing we're going to note is uh, actually around a technology announcement. Uh, Cloudflare, who was another company who uh, just recently IPO'd not too long ago, um, they just made an announcement. Uh, so Cloudflare uh, really kind of around um, CDN services and security services, network services for the cloud, um, just announced something they call uh, worker sites, which is um, them extending sort of serverless working, uh, serverless compute capabilities out to the edge of the cloud. So kind of bring this up, um, you know, not so much just because it's a, a new feature and, and we haven't talked a whole lot about Cloudflare, um, but, you know, kind of a new category that we're starting to see, again, around edge, uh, edge computing and sort of serverless around the edge. Uh, we've seen um, AWS do this with uh, Lambda Edge and some other stuff, but I think this is a topic that probably within 2020, 2020, uh, 2020 um, we'll definitely be digging into more and more. I think it's going to be um, kind of a computing trend and a, uh, a way of looking at certain things around the edge that'll be very, very interesting to a lot of different use cases. So definitely something to take a look at. A couple of other things around kind of financing and markets and so forth. Um, WeWork, who has been under a lot of scrutiny, uh, they had published their S1 for their IPO. Uh, people were really digging into it a lot, kind of realizing that, um, you know, they were trying to be valued as a technology company, really mostly just a, uh, a real estate company were probably highly overvalued. And then a lot of questionable things were, uh, you know, were kind of brought up about how the company was governed and some of the acts their CEO had. So uh, WeWork this week pulled their IPO. Uh, their valuation has dropped considerably and not necessarily a huge technology thing from a cloud perspective, but um, it is sort of interesting because it was a 
a huge valuation bet uh, by SoftBank, uh, who was their their VC funder, um, and uh, brings up a lot of question about some of the the funds that SoftBank has. SoftBank also another big investor around a lot of other companies, uh, Uber and some others. So it's always interesting when something like this happens, um, what p- potential ripple effects it has down the road. So definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on, partially from a WeWork perspective, uh, partially from a SoftBank uh, fund perspective, and then what other companies, if uh, if they're vastly overvalued, uh, may have an impact on the tech industry. And then the final thing, and this is really just sort of speculation. We hate to kind of get into speculation, but um, Sort of interesting to see um, Docker. Uh, Docker, uh, some internal documents uh, were published from Docker, or kind of leaked from Docker, um, talking about them. Uh, again, looking to try and raise another significant, uh, you know, trying to raise cash amid what are called significant challenges. So we'll put that in the show notes. I don't want to speculate a whole lot about Docker, uh, but it is sort of interesting. Um, they are on a new CEO. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the, the market is, has moved very much away from just containers and sort of Docker um, as the core technology to Kubernetes and some other things. And so, uh, you know, this is not uh, probably shouldn't be news to anybody who follows the show, but uh, it is sort of interesting to see uh, where they're going. Does this look like something they're, they're trying to raise another round of capital? Are they trying to find a potential suitors and so forth? So something, again, to kind of keep an eye on. So again, with that, we're going to kind of wrap it up for Cloud News of the Week. Uh, sort of an interesting conversation we're having next. Um, I know a lot of you are very interested in Kubernetes. So, um, you know, we cover Kubernetes over on the uh, PodCTL show. We need to get back to doing that on a more regular basis. But this week, we're really talking about kind of the development environments around Kubernetes. So not just, um, you know, working with Kubernetes, but what's the experience like for developers if the platform underneath them is Kubernetes? And so we're going to talk uh, a lot about some of the tooling uh, and some of the frameworks that are being built on top of Kubernetes, um, above and beyond Kubernetes, to try and make developers' lives better. So this should be a very interesting conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Let's go ahead and get to the... Today's sponsor is Datadog the real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you've already collected with Datadog. To start monitoring your Kubernetes clusters, sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to get started. And we're back. And, you know, as a lot of you know, obviously, if you're following the news and you're following kind of the tech trends, Kubernetes is getting a lot of traction out in the industry. It's it's becoming very popular. We're seeing a lot of companies using the technology. Um, you know, events like KubeCon continue to grow every quarter. And, and you know, as some of you know, I, I spend some time doing Kubernetes in my, my regular day job, aside from the podcast. Um, but one of the kind of complaints or, uh, you know, areas where people sometimes will push back on Kubernetes, you know, gaining the momentum they have is they'll say, you know, it sounds like very interesting technology from an infrastructure perspective. It does lots of automation. It does a lot of interesting things, but is it really all that developer friendly? You know, is it, you know, it's built around containers and, and other stuff. Is it really developer friendly? So we thought, well, let's go figure out what, you know, what, what's the truth around that? And, and, you know, where is the community working to try and make uh, things easier for developers to engage with Kubernetes? So very, very excited today to have Ellen Corbis, who is joining us from, uh, from Garden, developer relations from Garden. Ellen, welcome to the show. Hi, hello, Brian. Uh, so I'm Ellen. Uh, like you said, uh, I'm happy to be here. And yeah, when you ask if Kubernetes is developer friendly, I have strong feelings about that. Yeah, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. So before we dive into all of that, before we dive into, uh, you know, kind of what you do, give us a little bit of your background, um, uh, you know, 
kind of maybe a little bit before uh, working at Garden, and then you know give us a little bit of of what you do on a day to day basis uh, in terms of developer relations for Garden. Okay, so my background is a bit strange in that I started writing code when I was I don't know eleven. And I was a bit of a troublemaker, playing around with rootkits, exploits, all of that kind of stuff. And then when it was time to, you know, get a job and be an adult, I decided, you know what? I don't want to deal with this stuff. I'm going to be an artist. And so most of my 20s, I was a violinist, playing in a fancy orchestra, traveling around, doing concertos, operas, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Eventually, I realized there was no money in that. And then I came back to computers. Uh, I did a bunch of little things. Uh, The most significant was an internship with SIG CLI, which is uh, the group within Kubernetes that develops uh, KubeCuddle, KubeControl, KubeCTL, however you call it. Uh, And that was a bit eye-opening in that not only I learned about Kubernetes itself, but I learned about how much trouble it is, uh, both for people contributing to it uh, and for people using just using Kubernetes as part of their job. Uh, and well, being a, the troublemaker that I am, I wrote uh, blog posts about it. I gave talks about it. And one day these guys were at the audience, uh, from this company garden, uh, and their mission was to make developing, uh, in those kinds of situations a lot easier. Uh, and then I joined the company. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. I, a lot of times we'll have guests come on the show and we'll be talking ahead of time and they'll say, well, you know, my, my background is a little bit interesting and unique. And, um, I think the thing that we find is, is the people who, who gravitate towards kind of like newer technologies, their backgrounds kind of vary. So yours is, yours is not, not all that unusual. Um, like you mentioned, you did sort of take a detour, but it's great to have you back in the tech community. Um, let's, uh, you know, Kubernetes is, is kind of a weird thing. If we, if we think about it, it's, uh, you know, it's containers, which are, you know, kind of low-level Linux primitives and, and Linux concepts. It's it's orchestrators, which is kind of like, how do I automate things? But, you know, in that big context, there's not really, you know, a, a developer space, not natively. Um, so, you know, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned um, in terms of what's what's kind of out there for, for making it developer-friendly? Or, you know, where are some of the, the areas where... Um, you know, people are, are trying to improve it because it is, you know, it is kind of low level and infrastructure sometimes and, and not as developer friendly. Yeah. So like one of the things we have to keep in mind is uh, Kubernetes came along not to, to solve a development workflow issue. Right. It came to solve a, a scale issue, like a scalability issue. Uh, so it was always a means to solve an infrastructure problem. And that was a big enough problem that people were concerned with solving it well and not so much with the development experience. Uh, And I think Kubernetes does a good job at what it's meant to do. But if if we think from the point of view of developers, it creates a lot of problems. Uh, So, for example, we have to manage a bunch of weird config files that have, you know, uh, they're super uh, big with tons of options that we don't necessarily understand or want or should understand. Uh, we also end up with that workflow where, you know, every time you, you know, you make a little change to your code, now suddenly you have to build an image, you have to push an image, you have to update your cluster to use that image. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of things that we used to take for granted before. Like, for example, you know, I want to run a debugger. So how do you do that now if... My, my thing's running inside the container. 
so yeah, Kubernetes is not here to make developers' lives easier. It is here to make uh, different kinds of infrastructure possible. And that is something it does. Uh, and I think uh, where we are right now, uh, as, a, as a collective, as a community, we're starting to see that, you know what, wait a minute, we also need to focus on the development workflow. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I've given some talks where, you know, people ask sometimes, you know, how did, how, did, how did we get here with Kubernetes if it is, you know, kind of, you know, not the most developer friendly thing. And I, and I sometimes I have to walk them through a little bit of history, which people don't always love to listen to. But, you know, we, we started with things like platform as a service, which were very skewed towards developers. It was, you know, let's make it super simple for developers. And of course, when you skew the system or you bias the system really hard in one direction, you end up having to, to make a bunch of, you know, kind of put a bunch of opinions into it. You have to sort of make choices for people. And I, I think the original kind of platform as a services things made it too restrictive. You know, developers were like, if I'm, if I look like this, uh, you know, this use case, it's great, but otherwise it struggles. And Kubernetes kind of came along and containers were a little more flexible. You could support any, any runtime, any language. But again, the, the, the flip side of Kubernetes being more flexible was it, it focused less on, on being an exact developer experience or a simple one. So, um, you know, again, it's the it's the, the kind of the yin and yang of, of trade-offs in technology. But there's been a lot of development, a lot of different projects, if you will, maybe not like one path development, kind of traditional open source development, lots of projects that are out there. Um, and you've been studying and focusing on, you know, what are these different, how do these different tools that are out there? So things like um, Helm and Draft and Scaffold and uh, Forge and Telepresence and Garden and the sort of the list goes on and on. Um, can you start off with us, help us understand how do you take that big set of tools and kind of put a, a taxonomy around them or how do you map them to things that developers care about? Right. So I have this talk that I, I've presented a bunch of times this year and like every, comp every conference wants this talk. So I think it's very relevant. It's uh, the state of Kubernetes development tooling. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, I've published the slides, they're on my Twitter account, so everyone can just go and take a look. Uh, so in this talk, I, I, I discuss a bunch of different tools, the ones you've listed. Uh, so Helm, Draft, Scaffold, Forge, Telepresence, Garden, Tilt, uh, you know, Stern, Squash, uh, what else? Cube Forward, there's tons of them. Right. Uh, and every, every tool does uh, something. Uh, some tools are more like, you know, like the Unix philosophy of just do one thing and do it well. Uh, other tools are more all-encompassing, which is, uh, for example, the case of Garden, where I work at, uh, which kind of tries to really take you uh, from having to worry about a bunch of little things to just write your code and you should not have to worry about any of the underlying mechanics at all. Mm -hmm. So... I classified them in three very broad categories. Uh, one, I call them, and I'm going to start with this one just because it's the simplest. So one is just debugging tools. So you have things like Squash, uh, which lets you attach a debugger to a running container. Uh, you can do that to many containers at the same time. So if you've used uh, debuggers before, which a surprising amount of people haven't, uh, basically, you can go line by line as your code runs and see what's going on and what are the variable values and so on. And when you can do, when you can attach a debugger to multiple containers at a time, 
you can debug an interaction between different services in real time. And that is super cool. Uh, something else that is on, on this space, uh, there's something uh, called Cube Forward, which is uh, which kind of overlaps uh, another category that I'm going to discuss next. Uh, Cube Forward basically port forwards uh, everything from a cluster to your machine. Uh, and it changes your host files so that you can access uh, those uh you can access those endpoints as if you were inside the cluster. Ah, okay. And, and that's really helpful. So, for example, you're creating a new service and you need this service to communicate to the things that are inside the cluster uh, as if it were inside the cluster. Uh, so you can do that, but while running the thing from your machine. So that's really cool. Uh, there are tools like Stern. So Stern is basically, it just, uh, it's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it streams logs from all pods uh, into your Sorry, it streams logs from all pods uh, to, to into one uh, single output, which is uh, surprisingly handy. Whenever I'm, I'm doing any kind of development with any kind of cluster running, I always have a stern window on the side so that I can see everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to create filters as well. So this would be like the, the simplest category, so just things that you use for debugging. And of course, there's also a kubectl, uh, which we... Sh we like. So, so I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. No, I just fine. need go to ahead. say this. Uh, it's like when you go to your kitchen to get some water from the sink, how often do you look at the plumbing or do you fix the plumbing under the sink to see if things are working correctly? I hope the answer is never or right. maybe once every five years. And I think us, uh, if, if we're talking about developers, every time you have to use kubectl, I feel like we have failed. Uh, because that's infrastructure. As a developer, you should not think about infrastructure. Right. If you're looking at your, the plumbing under your, your sink every time you go get some water, something is deeply wrong. And I think we should fix that and create abstractions so that developers can do what they do best, which is development, not infrastructure. Yeah. No. I, anyway. I, no. That's a, actually that's a that's a great that's a great analogy for for two reasons. One, if you know, it, it'd be one thing if you went and, and got water and it came out and it was a funny color. And you said, okay, I need to fix it. Like that, that would be one thing. But if, if like, and I think this is what you're really saying is if the mindset of the developer is I better go check the pipe, the pipes for the water. Every time I look like you've created really bad behaviors that, you know, it's distracting them from building the applications and doing the things that are valuable. So I, I think, I think the analogy you make is, is really, really good. I, I, you're right. If, if they're using kubectl, um, they're, they're getting distracted on things that isn't being where they should focus. Yeah, uh, like uh, being an expert on kubectl is not going to make your company's product better. Uh, right. What you want is to focus on your company's product, not on kubectl. Exactly, exactly. Now, I, so, I, got you, I got you off on a tangent. Go ahead, continue, please. Oh, yeah. So another category we have is tools that I call, uh, I call the category just connect, which <clears> is ways to connect to your cluster in funny ways uh, or, let's say, different ways. Uh, so one of those tools is Cube Forward because you can use it for debugging. Like if you want to send uh, crazy API queries to internals of your system, so you can use Cube Forward for that. But you can also use just to talk to the internals of your cluster in a in a development uh, from a development point of view, and not just a debugging point of view. Uh, we have also other tools uh, in this category, like for example, Telepresence. Uh, which is really cool because it lets you swap uh, an existing deployment for one that's running locally. So if you are, uh, 
writing a new feature for one of your services, you can swap the thing that is running with the thing that is new that you're developing. Uh, and it does all the network proxying and stuff, so it, it looks uh, transparent to the developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have other tools in this category like KSync, which is useful to just sync files. Uh, so you sync files from somewhere in your file system uh, with files in the file system of a container that's running on your cluster. So, for example, if you're using Python or Node or uh, dynamic languages like that, uh, and you want to just update your code and see what it looks like, uh, that's going to help. Uh, and, and this category, it's things like that. Yep. But what I think is really the the where, as a community, we're going to end at, uh, what I think is going to be the community consensus of the best way to develop like this is in uh, what I... I what some people call development orchestrators. Uh, And these are tools that have a more overarching approach. So they're not simple tools. Uh, They kind of take care of your project in a way. Uh, So these would be garden, scaffold, tilt, uh, and draft mostly in forge, but draft and forge are not in active development anymore. So I usually don't talk about them, just garden, scaffold, and tilt. Yeah, uh, and and these are and these are ones where, <clears throat> um, not to interrupt you, but I this category is the ones that I think are the ones that that create the most discussion um, because to to a certain extent they um, they're they're much more full featured and they like you said they get into managing uh, you know the, the the complexities of your application the dependencies of your application but they're also the ones where people um, sort of say oh okay are we are we getting building? You know, are we getting back to, to building a platform as a service, which, you know, isn't isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think sometimes the the the, the mm-hmm. password kind of falls in there. But yeah, I, I I'm curious. I, I'm curious how you sort of look at these. Obviously, you know, Garden makes a product in this space, but uh, you know, these are ones that that get into much more philosophical about how we think about bundling applications and the interaction between applications. Yeah, so I, I have some uh, difficulty uh, talking about this category because, uh, and this is going to sound terrible, but the problem is that there are other tools other than the tool that my company makes, but the right. tool that my company makes is the best one. That's uh, fine. <laughs> and so it, it sounds like I'm being like, like a sales pitch, but it's like if I'm trying to be unbiased, that would be the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, let me explain why uh, that I, I have that opinion. Sure. Uh, so scaffold and tilt, they are very similar in terms of functionality. So the main difference, before I, I tell you what they do, I'm just going to tell you about the difference. The difference is that scaffold is very engineer focused. So it's not really pretty. It's not really nice. Uh, tilt, on the other hand, does everything scaffold does, but it's really slick. It's really pretty. It's a pleasure to use. So between the two, I would just always tell people to use tilt. So I'm going to basically compare Tilt and Garden. Uh, So the thing about Tilt is that it focuses on a very specific workflow, uh, which is it's going to watch your file system. Every time you make a change to, well, it's going to watch your file system. Uh, It's going to build and deploy all the services that you specified. Every time you make a change to one of the files, uh, it's going to rebuild and redeploy that service. Uh, So Tilt does that. It does that really well. But... It kind of feels like the same issue you were talking about the platforms in which that's what it does. End of story. Right. Kind of. Uh, Garden, on the other hand, uh, it, it, it has a... Garden was made from the beginning with a pluggable architecture. So 
while nowadays we're only promoting Kubernetes mostly, uh, it is not restricted to Kubernetes at all. Uh, we have, for example, uh, an OpenFast uh, plugin type with Garden. Uh, so, you know, you're developing your code to run on Kubernetes. Uh, you switch a few lines of configuration, and now the same code can run as OpenFast. And as a developer, you don't care about what's going underneath. Garden takes care of it for you. Uh, as, as things uh, go forward, we're going to have plugins for all kinds of things. So... An interesting idea is you talked about uh, the platforms, about the fact that they do abstract all of the all of the busy work away from the developer, but they're too restrictive. So with Garden, you get basically a, a build-your-own-platform uh, kind of thing in which you can uh, have different plugins, and they each work in a different way, and they each abstract things in a different way, but you are never... Uh, restricted to having to do things in one way because there's always a different one. So j just to give you an example, uh, I can, for example, let's say I hate Kubernetes. I really hate Kubernetes. I'm never going to write the Kubernetes manifest in my life if I can get away with it. You can have a container type on Kubernetes and, uh, sorry, you can have a container type on Garden and it's going to generate uh, the Kubernetes manifest for you. And it uses sensible defaults. It works 99% of the time. Uh, you, you just write your code, put your Docker file there, and it's going to run on Kubernetes, and you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, do I use uh, this option or that option in my Kubernetes manifest? You, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but let's say that's a restriction. That is really convenient, but let's say for your team that doesn't work. So instead of uh, what we call the container type, you can use the Kubernetes type, and suddenly you can bring your own manifest. Uh, so it, it's going to do... Uh, Different things for you. you. You can have you can specify all of the little options that you want, uh, and and there are many other types. So it's not just these two. So at the same time, it can abstract things away that you don't need, but it can bring the flexibility when you do need it. Yeah, and I and I think <clears throat> you know I'll I'll kind of highlight to the listeners if if uh, if you're listening along, go back, rewind, go listen to that last two or three minute segment again. I, I think you really highlighted. Kind of the the biggest thing that we found with you know that we've seen and we've learned with all these different cloud native platforms and things that are out there, right? There are times when you're like, I, you know, it, it's fine to be like, I hate Kubernetes. I don't want to care about it. I just want to be productive. And it's nice when tools will say, Good, you don't have to know about that. Uh, you know, here's here's the here's the defaults that make you not have to care about that. And then, like you said, there's times when you were like, I, I I still hate it. But I have to. I have to be able to deal with it in some way. I have to interact with it in some way, or we have to change some defaults. And I think that that modularity or pluggability makes makes things really good. So you know, I think what we what we found over time is systems that allow you to be opinionated when it makes sense and it lets you go fast is valuable. And then having some modularity to it allows you to to live in the real world where you know your your business needs don't always fit that that specific opinion. Um, and, and it's cool that you guys have built tools that, uh, you know, that, that fit that, you know, that fit that flexibility. I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, I think that is, that is one of the things that, uh, our users value the most about how garden does things. Yeah. Uh, so like, for example, we have a Helm module type. So, you know, if you want to, everything I just said, but you want to use Helm, you can, uh, you can, for example, if you want, uh, 
If you want a local workflow with like Minikube or something like that, you can do that. Uh, if you want to work against a remote a remote cluster, you can. Uh, if you have like I've heard from someone I talked to that their whole development team had to use uh, Windows 7 corporate machines and they weren't allowed to install Docker on it because of, you know, administrative restrictions. So with Garden, you can just use in-cluster builds. You don't have Docker on your machine. Uh, the code gets synced to the cluster and I've, all the images are built inside the cluster. So you don't need Docker or kubectl in your machine. So that's an option as well. Um, and, and really what you said about uh, developers being allowed to forget that Kubernetes exists, I think that is the core of like what I feel is my mission even within the company. Uh, I, I've been, we were talking the other day about like what message should we put on, the, on, on our booth uh, when we go to KubeCon again. And I was telling them, we should just say forget Kubernetes. We should be the one company uh, at KubeCon, whose motto is forget Kubernetes. Because I think for developers, that's what developers uh, are really looking for. People just want to write their code. Right, right. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's I think that's perfectly fair. I think uh, I think our industry is, um, has had that as a goal for the last decade or so, and we've, we've kind of gone around and around as to, you know, different ways to make that possible while still having, you know, scalable platforms under the covers and not making it too complicated. And that becomes the the eternal challenge that we have of, you know, balancing simplicity and and sophistication or complexity and so forth. Um, yeah. I, you know, one of the things I, I, I noticed that you didn't explicitly mention, so you, you know, you mm -hmm. talked about debuggers and you talked about ways of, where do IDEs fit into this? Um, obviously, you develop in whatever IDE you like, but are there certain ones that you've seen are have more pluggability to be Kubernetes friendly, or is that just kind of doesn't really matter? Uh, so something that we have discussed a lot is that the IDE should not really matter. Uh, it, like in this world with tools like Garden Scaffold and Tilt, uh, the tool that you use to write your code doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, and I I don't know, this is complicated. Like, I see the convenience that you, when, I, I see how it could be convenient to add uh, functionality to IDEs, but it's also limiting. Yeah. Uh, for example, let's say you have a feature that's really cool on the IDE, and then suddenly you want to run that same thing on CI, and it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, no, uh, I, I can see where the permutations get complicated. It makes... Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying when you're saying that this could be a, a complicated topic to discuss. Yeah, like, like for example, there is the Docker uh, extension for VS Code. I have installed it. I have never used it. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that is really the way to go uh, yeah. as far as as this type of uh, as solving this problem goes. Uh, there's, I think dashboards are, are better, would be a better way. Uh, like Tilt has a really nice dashboard. Uh, Garden has a dashboard as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there is this new tool by VMware. It's called Octant, I mm -hmm. think, which yeah. is also a dashboard. Uh, I, I think they bring a more human aspect to, you know, the whole command line nerdery of infrastructure. Uh, I, I think, I think there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, make, it makes sense. It's uh you know, we, we've always, there will always be CLIs, but we've, uh, you know, we've always found um, that, that as more and more people need to use them, they need to be, they need to be simpler to use. And, and 
you know, visuals and GUIs and stuff tend to tend to help accelerate that. Um, yeah, so something that people really, really like about Garden that I was really surprised, but every time I demo it, it's the thing that people like the most. Uh, so uh, Garden creates a stack graph of your application. So when you set up your, your application with Garden, uh, you define all the dependencies of each service uh, in relation to other services, and then you end up with this dependency tree uh, and it includes build tasks, deploy tasks, uh, tests that have to run, uh, all of all of those things uh, in like a tree. It's very and, and it's very visual, uh, and and this this functionality has always been there. But it's only when we put it on the dashboard and people could see live like the tree, like you know the nodes changing from uh, green to red when you make a change, and then they're spinning, and suddenly this thing is done, and the next thing is now spinning, uh, and and when people can visualize. The, what is happening behind the scenes in front of them? Uh, I, th I think it adds a lot. Yeah. Uh, but but I think I, th I really think the way is more the browser, which is a more universal interface, as opposed to IDEs where you know the flame wars are never going to end. So right, we might right, as well right. stay away from there. Right, 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 right. And I'll uh, I'll I'll point out to listeners. Uh, Ellen and I were, were joking a little bit before the show came on and we recorded. She, uh, they said, uh, hey, you know, there's a possibility that the, the sirens are sort of loud in Berlin, so you may hear them. So she's, uh, they're fine there. Everything's good. And uh, just uh, the nature of what goes on in Berlin. So nothing to worry about if you hear that in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you're in Berlin, chances are uh, any direction you go, it's either techno or sirens. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, real quick, you know, People obviously always are looking for shortcuts or, or things to make their lives better. Um, you know, you talked about a lot of different tools, but they fall into different categories. Have you found that, um, you know, one category or another? I, I You know, obviously you mentioned, uh, you know, loving garden and, and obviously having a bias for it because that's who you work for. But like of, of any of the other tools, if you just said, hey, uh, to somebody, you know, this one, you know, just start using it. It'll make your life a lot easier, at least for some section. Do you find one or two of them are just sort of like must-haves, or as soon as you start using them, you know, things kind of get better? Or is it is it really, hey, you, you've got to have you know, kind of the right tools for the right place, um, you know, kind of ac across the toolbox, if you will? Uh, okay, so the one tool that I have running all the time, always, is Stern. Uh, it's it just does uh, log streaming, but it does it really well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always have Stern running whenever I'm working on any cluster, doing anything. The tool that I think people find the most magical at first glance is Cube Forward, because you just run one command and suddenly you can play with all the things inside your cluster from your machine. Uh, so I, I think. Whenever, like, when I'm doing a workshop about all these tools, Cube Forward is the moment when people are like, "Oh, this is cool! I can do this!" So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of the more complex tools, uh, basically, if you already have your manifests uh, and Docker files all set up, because that's the requirement, I think Tilt is really easy to set up mm -hmm. uh, to just get it up and running. Uh, and then, of course, if you have a, a project where you know you want to track your dependencies, you want to run tests, you want to, your builds to run inside your cluster, you want all that extra functionality, uh, then you should go with Garden. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, Garden has extra has a bit of more of a learning curve. There are new concepts to learn. But yeah. depending on your project, that's going to be worth it for you. Yeah. No, it's it's very very helpful. I I I follow the industry I think fairly closely, and and with all of the different 
projects and tools coming out, I, I, I've often found myself going, you know, I, I don't know if this new one is is useful. I don't know if it's if it overlaps something else. Should I pay attention to it? Um, and the way that you've kind of laid out this this hierarchy or this this way of of putting them into categories has been really really useful. I hope uh, I hope folks that are listening uh, found it very useful. I think um, you do a very good job of explaining, you know, not only not just the tools, what they are, but more importantly, you know, how do they relate to day to day what a developer has to do, whether it's writing code, whether it's dependency management, whether it's debugging and so forth. So um, that was very, very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of wrap it up. Um, if folks want to reach out to you potentially, obviously, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're out speaking, you're going to be speaking at Velocity here fairly soon. Uh, but if they wanted to reach out to you and, and pick your brain or even just go read some of the things or, or look at some of the things that you've worked on, what might be a good place for them to uh, to either engage or just learn more about the things that you, uh, you talk about and, and are passionate about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter all the time. So it's just my name is my username. Uh, you can just find me there. I'm there all the time. Uh, if if people want to watch this talk live, uh, I, I need to update the schedule on my website, but it's ellen.cool. So very easy to very easy to remember the URL. Uh, so you can check the schedule there. There's some writing there, but it's not really current. Uh, I'm thinking of starting a website actually just for this uh <clears throat> Sorry, just for this tooling idea, just to lay out all the tooling, but that's still that's still in progress. Yep. Uh, and if people want to talk about Garden specifically, there's the Garden channel on Kubernetes Slack, uh, and people are free to reach out to the whole team there. Uh, but if if you mostly want to talk to me, I think Twitter is the best place, and I tend to reply very fairly quickly. So everyone, feel free to reach out. Yeah. No. Very very cool. Thank you so much for the time today. It's very. Very informative. I learned quite a bit. I hope the audience, uh, you know, is, is able to have a better sense of, you know, as Kubernetes grows as a technology, as it becomes more popular, um, you know, in order for it to be successful, it not only has to be good at the thing that it was built to do, which is scale, but um, the community around it has to be, you know, building um, interesting and better tools to make developers' lives better. So, um, Ellen, thank you so much for the time today. We really, really appreciate it, folks. Um, as always, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for listening this week. Well, it's been a great show, and we want to thank again our sponsors, Datadog and Price and Wire, for sponsoring today's show. You know, it's easy to learn more about Price and Wire and book a strategy session at pricingwire.com. So, with that, folks, I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating the show and all the other ways that you help us grow the community. So, with that, we're going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. Media.